from the KLX Studios in Berkeley, California. I'm Frank Ling, and this is Berkeley Grox. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, iron aerosols and popcorn flavoring in the air. In addition, we'll be joined by Dr. Richard Johnson, who will discuss fructose and obesity. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Berkeley Grox Science Show. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? Popcorn. Uh, I'm not really sure if that's an answer, but I guess there's a story about popcorn. Come out of your microwave. Uh, toxic fumes. Apparently, that's the culprit. It's a compound with a chemistry known as diacetyl, or T3-butanedione. Right, right. This is sort of like the popcorn disease. It's sort of like McDonald's acne or something. <laughs> People who work at McDonald's apparently have a higher rates of... But the thing with this popcorn is diastols have been really popular as a flavoring agent. When you cook these flavorings, they tend to form other type of carcinogens or compounds that damage your lung. So this company, ConAgra, which is probably one of the biggest food makers, is going to eliminate the uh, diastol from their flavoring. The EPA is also looking into this. You know, pretty soon I guess our popcorn will be safe again. Yeah, if only they can make it taste better. All right, Frank, well, what do you think about black holes? Odd, cute, some of them. Yeah, well, especially cute if they uh, become pint-sized. And researchers have been looking for the smallest type of black holes, probably the cutest black holes. And what they found is one of the smallest black holes ever found, weighing about 3.8 times the uh, mass of the sun, which is really quite close to the theoretical threshold of where black holes would begin to form. So it's thought that very large stars, supergiants, live only a few million years before blowing themselves into supernova and becoming black holes. And in between, there are smaller middleweight stars that become neutron stars. The limit between where it becomes a neutron star and a black hole is calculated to be about 1.7 and 2.7 times the sun's mass. So now previously, researchers had only found the smallest black hole weighing about 6.3 times the mass of the sun, but this was measured indirectly by measuring the gravitational or energetic effects on nearby stars. And now two astrophysicists from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in in Greenbelt, Maryland, have used a new technique measuring periodic X-ray bursts with the Rossi X-ray Timing Explorer spacecraft. And again, they found a pretty small black hole weighing only about 3.8 times the solar masses. Really very fascinating and hasn't been discovered before, and certainly adds to the cuteness of black holes out there. And if anyone wants to know more? Published in a recent edition of the Astrophysical Journal. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Berkeley Grox Science Show you're listening to. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. Richard Johnson will discuss fructose and obesity. So stay tuned.
welcome back to the Grox Science Show. Well, the American diet may be one of the most unhealthy in the world, leading to a major epidemic in terms of obesity. Much of this may be a result of the inclusion of a simple sugar known as fructose, which is a standard ingredient in most processed foods. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Richard Johnson. Dr. Johnson was previously Chief of Nephrology and Director of Renal Transplantation at Baylor College of Medicine. He is currently Chief of Nephrology, Hypertension, and Transplantation at the University of Florida in Gainesville. His new book, The Sugar Fix, The High Fructose Fallout That Is Making You Fat and Sick, explores this issue for a general audience. Dr. Johnson, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you, Charles. Uh, well, it's certainly a pleasure to have you on the program. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this compound, but what exactly is high fructose corn syrup? Well, high fructose corn syrup is a type of sweetener that was developed in the early 1970s. And it comes from corn, uh, hence its name. And corn is mainly a starch product, but if you treat it with different kinds of enzymes and so forth, you can convert some of the starch into fructose, and you end up with a syrup that's called high fructose corn syrup. Chemically, it's similar somewhat to sugar. So it's made up of a little bit more than half of the substance's fructose, and the other half is dextrose or glucose. But it's, it's quite sweet, it's liquid, it has a long shelf life, it's l- less expensive than sugar, and it rapidly started replacing sugar in foods. But it did something even more than that, and that is that people actually are putting it into many, many more foods than normally you would ever expect. So if you walk down a grocery aisle and start looking at labels, you'll be surprised that high fructose corn syrup is in so many foods. You did mention it's found naturally, but what kinds of foods uh, is it in? Well, for example, the number one food is probably not surprising. It's soft drinks. It's, it, it replaced Sugar used to be used in soft drinks, and after high fructose corn syrup was introduced, it was shortly thereafter replaced the sugar in soft drinks. So the number one product is soft drinks, non-diet soft drinks. But it's in fruit juices and fruit punches. It's in pastries. It's in jellies. It's in jams. And these all make sense because they're sweet, but it's in things that you may not think of. So, for example, like low-fat yogurt sounds very healthy. Low-fat yogurt, but many of these low-fat yogurts, particularly the fruit-flavored ones, will have high-fructose corn syrup added to make it really sweet Hmm. and tasty (laughs) and bad. (laughs) It's in a lot of other foods, too. It's in crackers. It's in cereals. It's in condiments. It's in ketchup and, and so forth. And the reason it's so ubiquitous is just because it's so cheap to make. It's cheap to make. And, you know, when it first came out, because it was less expensive than sugar, one way that this could have been passed on to the consumer would be to reduce the price of various foods. But instead, what the typical thing that happened was that the companies didn't reduce the price, but they just increased the size. So in the 1950s, a soft drink was seven and a half ounces. That was the typical size of a bottle. In, you know, the 60s and 70s and 80s, it was 12 ounces. <laughs> now, you go out and there's 20-ounce drinks and there's super size and super, super size. And, and so the problem with high-fructose corn syrup is not so much what it is, because it's like sugar. The problem is how much of it we're eating. And we're eating a lot of it. So what are the problems of having too much fructose in your system? So if you give fructose to animals... It turns out fructose is basically a type of carbohydrate. We have figured out from experiments in animals and humans that fructose is quite different from other carbohydrates. Glucose, for example, rapidly is used to turn into energy, and it's healthy for a cell to metabolize glucose. But if a cell in your body is exposed to fructose, 
the enzymes that use fructose end up depleting this cell of energy. Hmm. And within minutes, the energy levels inside the cell fall, and the cell will get sick. And actually, transiently, you can even show that things like protein synthesis gets turned off. And then as the cell is sick, it starts to respond. It produces uh, triglycerides. It produces inflammatory substances. And we can show this uh, in cell culture. If you feed fructose to animals, they actually develop features of metabolic syndrome. They develop obesity. They develop insulin resistance. Their blood pressure goes up. They even get vascular disease. They get fatty liver. They get kidney disease. They get inflammation. If you feed another animal the same amount of glucose, nothing happens. And more recently, studies in people have shown the same thing. If you give people high doses of fructose, their blood pressure goes up. Their triglycerides go up in their blood. And uh, they can become insulin resistant, which is kind of what happens with prediabetes. We recently, we have a paper just coming out in which we looked at a disease called fatty liver. Well, when I was a resident, fatty liver was a pretty rare disease. Uh, you know, it was very uncommon, but today it's becoming one of the more common liver diseases seen in the United States. It's associated with obesity, and it's associated with what we call the metabolic syndrome. Well, I knew that you can create fatty liver in an animal by giving it fructose. So we studied patients with fatty liver, and we, we reported with a group at Duke that, they are, that patients with fatty liver are eating several times more fructose than the average amount in the population. And not only that, when we looked in their liver biopsies, we could show evidence that their fructose enzymes were very highly actively turned on. I mean, this is fascinating given the fact that fructose being a very simple sugar is, uh, you would think it would be a very benign source of energy for the cell. You would think so, but you know, it turns out that there's a specific enzyme that metabolizes fructose that's kind of unregulated. It's like a runaway train, so to speak. And whatever fructose it sees, it, it chews it up. And as it chews it up, it uses a lot of energy, and that's what depletes the cell of energy. And you can show this in, in a variety of ways. We just have another paper that's in press in which we show that the kinds of blood concentrations of fructose that you can get with a very large soft drink are enough to induce inflammation and to cause the stimulation of proteins that are involved in letting white blood cells stick to blood vessels. It's a very bad thing. And interestingly, uh, a collaborator and friend of ours has been giving fructose to people and showing that particularly in people who are overweight that they can show evidence for the same inf inflammation occurring in response to fructose but not to starch. So it's looking pretty compelling that fructose can actually be driving some of the features that lead to this metabolic syndrome and pre-diabetic state. So it's more than just obesity. Mm, so it has all these sort of downstream effects. Which is right. Yeah, wow, fascinating. Well, given the fact that it's so common, I mean, how is it possible to avoid high fructose? Well, you, you have to be a bit of a sleuth. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing is you need to, to be aware that fructose is a problem. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And the second one is to realize that the major sources are the, the obvious ones. Things that are sweet and sugary are often have a lot of fructose and table sugar in it. And in table sugar is a big source of fructose, too. You know, the first step is just to be aware that soft drinks, try to avoid them. Don't eat a cake every day, you know. <laughs> Save it for the special occasions, like a birthday, the way it was supposed to be. 
that's the first step. Then the second one is start looking at packages and, try, and read what's on the label. Oftentimes they will mention if there's high fructose corn syrup in it. But the problem is that they don't always tell you how much is in there. Mm. Obviously there's a difference between a small tiny amount and a huge amount. And the trouble is that we need to not only increase public awareness, but we need to encourage the government to have better ways of labeling and telling people how much fructose is in a particular package. So there are recommendations for a healthy diet. You actually uh, argue against maybe some of the low-carb diets, but you give a better ratio, 50% carbs, 25% fat. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems with low-carb diets are one of the great breakthroughs in weight loss. I mean, there is no doubt that the Atkins diet works, at least initially, in causing significant weight loss. And we think it's because they're removing fructose when they put you on a low-carb diet. Fructose is one of the carbs that they remove. But the problem with, with the low-carb diets is you have to be on a high-protein, high-fat diet. Mm. And not only is a high-fat diet unhealthy, that's well-proven, but high-protein diets are actually bad, too. They can accelerate kidney disease, for example. You know, I'm a kidney physician, and we have pretty good evidence high-protein diets aren't good either. So the trouble is, is you get rid of the bad carbohydrate, but you're also increasing other things, and, and, and we can't sustain it. Mm-hmm. See how many people can live on a low-carb diet long-term. We, we were meant to eat 50% of our foods as carbs. But the beauty of identifying fructose as the bad carbohydrate is you now can design a diet where you remove the bad carbohydrate, but you can maintain that balance of mm-hmm. carbohydrate, protein, and fat. And uh, this is what we've done. Now, the other big trick, which is really kind of interesting, is that fructose, the more you eat, the more sensitive you become to it. Mm-hmm. So this is a real problem. So if you're like really overweight and you've been eating lots of sugar, you now become very sensitive to the effects of fructose. And the reason is, is because the enzymes that metabolize fructose, those bad, evil enzymes, increase mm-hmm. in response to eating fructose. So now you have these raging levels of enzymes and you try to cut your fructose down and, and you try to lose weight, but since small amounts of fructose are in lots of foods and you don't necessarily look for it, you still be exposed and then the, you keep these same mechanisms going. And so the trick is to cut out fructose for two weeks. Hmm. And what that does is it allows the enzyme levels to come back to normal. At that point, you can restart your diet with just about one-third the normal amounts of fructose and one-third, one-quarter, and now you've got a healthy amount of fructose. You know, some fructose is good, but you just don't want to eat a lot of it. I mean, fructose is in fruit, for example, so eating two or three fruit a day is to be encouraged because it contains a lot of other good things. But now you can be on a relatively low-fructose diet. You'll have good health. You won't gain weight, and it's a much, you know, a superior way to go. You know, the Atkins diet took you off carbohydrates for two weeks, so without them realizing what they were doing, they were allowing those fructose enzymes to come back down. And I think that's why those diets like the South Beach and the Atkins diet were so effective was because they did this not really being aware of this effect. So in a sense, they were desensitizing the body to the fruit. Yeah, Yeah, rebooting you. (laughs) So the other hypothesis of these low-carb diets was that too many carbs increases the level of insulin, which is sort of a master regulator hormone of the body. Does fructose increase levels of insulin more than other sugars? See, so this is one of the traps, and actually I just wrote a review on this. Mm -hmm. The glycemic index was designed originally for people with diabetes. And what it says is watch out for starchy foods because they raise your blood glucose and it can make your diabetes harder to control. Mm -hmm. And it's true. So if you're diabetic, you've got to watch out for starchy foods because they often have a high glycemic index, 
and they rate the blood glucose goes up and they require more insulin and, and in a diabetic they don't who can't regulate insulin this is a problem but then it got into the lay literature that glycemic index might also be important for the normal person to prevent weight gain and the concept was that you know starchy foods stimulate insulin secretion and this is a bad thing but that's the normal physiologic response when you eat food your insulin goes up to help to control the blood glucose that's a normal response what leads to diabetes and the metabolic syndrome and hypertension and vascular disease is a condition called insulin resistance and that's when the tissues are resistant to insulin so it's insulin resistance that's the problem not insulin stimulation in this regard fructose causes insulin resistance in animals and in humans proven but glucose does not cause insulin resistance so starchy foods which contain glucose are relatively safe if you're not diabetic whereas high fructose foods which cause insulin resistance that's where the problem is so in our diet we actually think that foods like rice and potatoes which are starchy but don't have any fructose basically we think those are pretty safe foods now if you're diabetic you have to be a little careful but that's different you actually have a very history as both a clinician and a researcher what's your perspective from both ends of this issue First, I'll just tell you that I absolutely love clinical medicine. I love taking care of patients, and I love basic science, and there's nothing better in the world than trying to figure out the causes of disease. And so from my perspective, it started as a basic scientist, and what's happened is as we've realized how important this pathway is and how important this could be in obesity, we're now going to clinical trial. And so I've had the joy of doing research in animals and now all of a sudden going to clinical trials where we're actually trying to see if our science can explain certain diseases. The last few years I've gotten very excited because our work suggests that this is a major pathway for obesity. That doesn't mean that there aren't other mechanisms and of course people are exercising too little and eating too much. But I think that this is going to turn out to be a major mechanism. Well, it is certainly a very fascinating mechanism. I wonder if you have maybe a few final words regarding the whole issue of high fructose corn syrup. Well, you know, the main thing I would say is that the, the current problem is how much fructose we're eating. And the problem with high fructose corn syrup is it's in so many foods, and especially in soft drinks, that we're being exposed to large amounts of it. And the biggest issue that we can do to particularly to help prevent obesity and to have an effect on our children who are getting obese and things like that is to be aware that sugar in excess is a really bad thing and high fructose corn syrup in excess is really bad and we need to reduce the intake some kids are eating as much as 40 percent of their diet is sugar and we really need to cut it back and if they're really fat, I would suggest, or if you really want to have the best results, try to put them on a fructose-free diet for two weeks to kind of let them get their enzymes back to normal and allow them to then be healthier again in response to food. Mm, indeed. Uh, so maybe some of the biggest offenders in terms of the foods that people should be avoiding then. Yeah, the biggest offenders are soft drinks, fruit punches, a lot of these drinks sugary drinks, the fast food sweets that you get like milkshakes and I, I list all these different desserts at the different fast food places and how much fructose there is and some of them are unbelievably high but I don't think I particularly want to name any specific one on the radio. All right. People are interested of course they can check out the new book which is of course The Sugar Fix, the high fructose fallout that is making you fat and sick. Dr. Johnson, thank you very much for joining us on the Grok Science Show. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Charles. 
And you were just listening to Dr. Richard Johnson discussing fructose and obesity. This is the Berkeley Grok Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. Sugar. the game it is the grokatron 5000 it is our supercomputer formerly known as deep blue today the grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic on a sugar high or baseline is normal so for the following five people the grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're on a sugar high or if their baseline is normal dr johnson you're ready to play the game yeah i'm ready to play okay here we go <laughs> person number one on a sugar high or their baseline is normal the fed chairman ben bernanke baseline normal He's got a lot to be depressed about to begin with, so I don't know. <laughs> he hopefully can keep the economy normal anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he's already at a depressed level. Uh, interesting, when you eat sugar, you, you, there's an initial high and then there's a low, so I can be right either way, I guess. Right. Go ahead. All right, so number two, Oprah Winfrey. She's definitely a sugar high. <laughs> she uh, goes up and down with her weight, and she also goes up and down with her energy and enthusiasm, and so... She's kind of rocketing up and down, and I think that's what sugar does, too. Okay. <laughs> All right, number three, it's uh, the fitness uh, guru, Richard Simmons. I would say he's baseline normal. I don't think he does any sugar. Okay. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, number four, the golfer, Tiger Woods. Oh, he's definitely baseline normal. <laughs> totally in great shape, and he doesn't have an ounce of metabolic syndrome. I'd say he's fine. <laughs> right. All right, and finally, number five, it's the president of the United States, George Bush. <laughs> Well, I think that he's probably <laughs> he's probably a sugar high because I can't consider him normal under any. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Johnson, I do want to thank you for sticking around playing the game, and of course, talking about your book, which is called The Sugar Fix: The High Fructose Fallout That Is Making You Fat and Sick. Thank you very much. Thank you too. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Wing. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.